Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hi, guys. I had my friend Alex on the podcast again to talk about current events. It seems like there are things going on that are on everyone's minds right now, and I really thought it important to address and also to have a voice other than just mine. So I invited Alex on the podcast again. He recently wrote an article for his blog called How to Be a Buddhist Protester which I've linked in the show notes, and another article. He had an article for Lion's Roar drop the same day I recorded this podcast called The Buddhist Pure Land and Living Under Curfew. And that one in particular is about a specific experience he has had in this strange period we're going through right now. So I suggest reading both of those. They're both in the show notes. And... I met Alex when I took a trip to the Great Lakes, and he was present when I fell into Lake Erie, and I forgot to tell that story. That's not really a story, but I forgot to mention that last time he was on, and I think it's, I don't know if it's important, but I think I have a feeling I'm going to be able to say I met Alex before he was famous, because he is a very good speaker and a very good Buddhist teacher, and a few days ago, he appeared in an interview with Brad Warner on Brad Warner's YouTube channel. And and that is a place that gets a lot more attention than my YouTube channel. I'll just say that. So uh, here we go to my discussion with Alex. But first, I do have an ad on here. So 30-second ad and then my discussion with Alex. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. All right. So I'm here with Alex Cacchio again, and we are going, I invited him on here to talk about current events. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. He wrote an article on his, on his website called how to be a Buddhist protester. And subsequent to that, he wrote another article about current events. So it really inspired me to have him on and talk about current events because it really feels like the world is on fire right now. It feels like there's a, just a lot of really awful things happening and people are scared and I'm scared. So I thought it'd be good to just have somebody on to talk to, talk to about this. Say hello to everyone, Alex. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. So right now, um, there are protests in a bunch of cities in America, including here in Kansas City. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think including where Alex is living as well in Cleveland and just all over the place. And it all erupted after. And we won't go into great detail because I think everyone knows. But a man named George Floyd had a police officer kneel on his neck for eight minutes and he died. And that's not the special thing about it, though. The special thing about it is it is was recorded and it's on video and everyone can see what happened. And. I think that now a lot of things are being brought to light that really were happening before, but it's just now everything in the world is on video, it seems like. 
And so uh, there are protests going on everywhere. And I wanted to ask you, Alex, um, there's some diversity of thought in the Buddhist community. And some people say that Buddhists, Buddhist teachers should not give, get involved in politics. And some other people say the far opposite of that. And they say that Buddhist teachers should be really deeply involved in politics. And just as an aside, I'm not sure these protests should be considered political, although it seems like in America everything is political these days. But it sort of seems like I feel like politics is like debating on a one percent sales tax increase. I think that is politics. And I think this like police brutality in human life, I don't think that's politics so much as we have values differences. I have values differences with people that think that with people that don't care, I guess this is happening. So Mm -hmm. what do you think as Buddhists, first of all, what do you think as a Buddhist teacher, what our role is in situations like this? Well, I, I agree. I don't think it's our job as Buddhist teachers to be involved in politics per se. Uh, I have no interest in telling people, who to vote for or what petition to sign. Uh, I'm not going to debate anyone on the sales tax. I don't think that's my (laughs) role. (laughs) However, (laughs) I think we as Buddhist teachers and frankly, as Buddhists in general, have a very real responsibility to speak about morality. And what happened to George Floyd had nothing to do with politics. That's a moral issue. And Buddha spent a lot of time speaking about morality. He devoted almost half of the Noble Eightfold Path to moral teachings. So he felt very strongly about this. Uh, The idea of killing people, the idea of being violent towards them. Um, We have a responsibility to instruct people on morality. That's what we're here for. Otherwise, what are we doing? And right now, the world is, like you said, it's on fire. (laughs) And funny enough, Buddha used those exact words to describe the world in the Mm -hmm. fire sermon, um, which is where we get the first noble truth, which states life is suffering. He went through all of our senses and said, everything we see, everything we hear, everything we feel is on fire with the passions of greed, anger, and ignorance. And he said that not to scare us, but just to give us a realistic expectation of the world and what it's like and how we should live in it. And I always think back to the fire sermon in situations like this where we're still in the midst of a pandemic. We have protests going on all over the country. Uh, Terrible things are being done, filmed, and posted on social media. And it can be very easy for us to think that the world is worse than it's ever been. But that's that's simply not the case. Uh, these things have, have always existed. Racism has always existed. Violence, brutality, murder. These things are part of the DNA of the universe. And learning to accept that fact can, in my experience, calm things down in our mind. Because it just reminds us that 
you know, the world isn't against us. This is just a situation we have to deal with. And as Buddhists, we have all the tools to deal with it effectively. We have the Four Noble Truths. We have the, the Noble Eightfold Path. So that's the first thing I think of when I think about current events is I think about the fire sermon. Mm -hmm. I think about the fact that when Buddha was alive and he said life is suffering, he did that because he lived in a time where people were one crop failure away from starvation. Where if the Lord of your of the land you lived on, you know, decided to take all of your stuff, there was nothing you could do about it. So he was naming and validating the experience of the people he ministered to. And we as Buddhist teachers, we can do the same thing. I think in the spiritual community, everyone wants to be love and light all the time. And when anything difficult comes up, like what happened to George Floyd, we want to kind of shoo it away and, well, everything's resolved in the great unborn and in the absolute, there are no issues. Well, no, that, that's not the case. We also live in the relative world and we need to experience that as well. So we can validate people's emotions. We can tell them it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be frustrated. It's just the key is we can't stop there. We have to keep going after the anger, after the fear, after the frustration. And where we go after that, I always think about the story of Buddha's birth and how the story says that he emerged from his mother's womb. He took seven steps and he proclaimed in a loud voice of all the beings of all the world, I alone am holy. And some people look at that story and they think, well, Buddha was putting himself on a pedestal and that's why we create a statue and put him on the altar. And, you know, he was able to do things and in the suffering of the world, but we can, can, cannot. But that's not how I view the story. I view it more as him setting the stage. You know, he was setting an example for situations just like this one where we, through the power of our own spiritual practice, can emerge from the womb of the universe and take our own seven steps and say of all the beings of all the world, we alone are holy. We are Buddha. And so we can change the world for the better, just like he did. It can feel, um, we can feel really powerless at times. I uh, mm -hmm. worry a lot about escalation just because there's a photo of a protester here in Kansas city. Um, and the protesters holding up a sign. It looks like he's just holding up a sign and a police officer is just spraying him directly in the face with pepper spray. And mm -hmm. that bothers me because it bothers me a lot that it seems like the response to a protest of police brutality is police attacking people. And I know that's not happening everywhere. And I know we say not all cops, right. But, that bothers me a lot because it makes me think, oh, no, things aren't going to get better. What can we do? And I hear about tear gas, which is apparently illegal in the Geneva Convention, but they're dropping it on protesters and rubber bullets. And I heard about a little kid getting sprayed with pepper spray. And it's just what, what do you think we can say to give people some hope? Because it feels like it's not getting better. 
Sure. Sure. Well, the first thing, you know, like, like I mentioned before is we have to remind people of the power that they have. We are Buddhas. We have the power to change the world for the better through our ordinary everyday actions, just like he did. And you're right. It is easy to feel powerless when we forget that fact. So as teachers, we have a responsibility to remind people of that. I think it's important to look at the Noble Eightfold Path and look at the teachings that were given there because there's a lot of interesting things that we can learn and use in our current situation. So, for example, when Buddha laid out the Noble Eightfold Path, he talked about right view and right intention, which are the wisdom teachings of the path, you know, to help us orient ourselves to the world, see see it for what it is, and then decide we're going to do better. We're going to try to make a difference. That's right view and right intention. And then he goes into the morality teachings. And the first morality teaching is right speech. And that's powerful to me because when people think of Buddhism, they think of meditation. Yeah. They think of mindfulness. They think of robes and chanting and bowing, and that's all part of the practice. But when Buddha was saying, how do we practice Buddhism? How do we walk this path? The first thing he said was right speech. And that's something that all of us can do. We can use our words either in social media or in person to encourage each other and sustain each other. Uh, I, I often think about the monastics, and this goes on today in the Theravada tradition. Uh, if someone gave them a food offering, let's say, or an offering of robes or of medicines, they would respond by giving a blessing. May all the power of the Buddha protect you. May all the power of the Dharma protect you. May all the power of the Sangha protect you. May all the power of the devas and bodhisattvas protect you and keep you from harm. And... That's incredibly powerful. I mean, can you imagine not feeling incredible after someone says that to you? All the powers of the devas and bodhisattvas right. protecting me. I'm going to have an amazing day. <laughs> I am on fire. Let's go. <laughs> right? And we have that same ability. And we don't have to necessarily do it in that particular fashion. But it's incredibly powerful just to check in on someone. Hey, Daniel, yeah, I, how are you today? I, uh, <laughs> I had a friend and I, I had a friend. I have a friend and he works in a tech support yeah. business. And he, at the time, he worked for a company that he really thought was, um, we'll say, morally neutral. And he, he asked me, like, how can I have right livelihood here? Because yeah. I don't believe in what this company's doing. And what, well, what I said to him was, go and be super nice to all your coworkers all the time. And yeah. you will uplift people. And that is something you can do, even if you feel like your your job is not necessarily doing great for the world. Yes, that, so. that's 100% correct. 100%. Because I, I always think of it as like, if you have a house in the suburbs, and you take really good care of your yard, and there's like flowers and trees, and it's raked and all that. We think of that as I'm taking care of my yard. But what we're really taking care of is the entire neighborhood. The entire neighborhood is better because your yard is good, right? So in our own 
personal lives, if we want to take care of the entire world, we just need to take care of the people around us. You know, I, uh, I think about, uh, so, and this is going to show my age a little bit, but in hip hop back in the eighties, they used to have something called hype men and their jobs, they weren't rappers, they weren't DJs, they weren't MCs. Their whole job was to just be on stage, get the crowd excited and give encouragement to whoever was performing. That's all they did. They just hyped up everyone and encouraged them and you know, got everyone pumped and excited. And when I think of right speech, that's what I think of. I think of us hyping up the people around us because that's what's needed. We have the news media that's always so depressing and scary and violent. But just like you said with your friend, going to work and just being nice to everyone is such a powerful thing. I personally, my heart is so lifted when people email me just to, hey, sensei, I just wanted to say I really liked your blog post or, hey, this teaching really helped me. Like, I know the physical feeling I have in my body when people practice right speech towards me. So I know it's very effect effective when I do it towards them. And so that's the first thing I would tell people is just work really hard to practice right speech. Uh Use words in social media and in your interpersonal conversations that uplift the people around you. And that in and of itself will make a tremendous difference. Um, so yeah, I think that answers your question. Okay. So now I wanna talk about uh, some things that bother me and I'm gonna see what you have to say about that. My, my solution to these things that bother me is to be on social media less. So mm -hmm. that I want to make that clear, but I think, so this movement called black lives matter exists and it exists partly because we have all these stories and, you know, just this year, not only George Floyd, but uh, Breonna Taylor and Armand Arbery. And although Breonna was killed by police, Armand was not, but still mm -hmm. people are getting killed. And more than that, I think just as big of a problem is, it seems like people get away with it a lot. Mm -hmm. I still, I still think of George Zimmerman. He killed Trayvon Martin and he got acquitted. And now he goes to gun shows and signs autographs, which really that's disgusting, but it bothers me when people say all lives matter and it shouldn't to an extent, because I, I think all lives do matter, but I feel like there are people that say that are trying to diminish the movement because they feel like, I guess they feel like the movement diminishes them or they mm -hmm. feel like the problem is not serious. I don't, I don't know why people say all lives matter, but it seems like the phrase black lives matter makes some people really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have a uh, guess why that is, why that bothers people so much. Yes. Yes. So if we look at um, the causes of suffering, according to Buddha. They are greed, they are anger, and they are ignorance. And then if we look at the 12-fold uh, the chain of causation, it starts with ignorance, meaning we don't see the world as it is, we don't understand it, and then that leads to all of our problems after that, right? So ignorance essentially is the illusion of separation. I, I generally uh, explain it as the illusion of a separate self. So we, I think I'm over here, 
and this is me and you're over there and that's you. And there's this wall between us that can never be overcome. And because of that, I don't see you as a human being per se. I see you as something that's here to serve me. And this is amplified by our capitalist culture, which does commodify people like it commodifies everything. You know, we all have a resume and based on, and we work really hard to build up that resume and based on what's on that resume that decides what our salary is. And, and that's fine in an economic system. But when we talk about spirituality, when we talk about interpersonal connection, it's very important that my view is not me versus you, that it's us instead. Uh, Martin, I'm not sure if it's Buber or Bube, but uh, he was a philosopher who talked a lot about the I-thou relationship. Mm -hmm. And if I see, if we have an I-thou relationship, then I see you as being divine. I see you as holy. I see you as Buddha. And if I see you as Buddha, then the words Black Lives Matter doesn't bother me. Because I understand that when I, the words Black Lives Matter doesn't diminish me at all. Now, if I don't see you as divine, if I don't see you as holy, if I don't see you as part of myself, if I'm caught in that illusion of a separate self, that ignorance I spoke about earlier, well, now if I hear Black Lives Matter, I automatically assume you're saying, well, my life doesn't matter. And now we have this, this conflict. And now I need to say, no, all lives matter. And what I'm really saying in that, in that moment is I'm important too. So that's my view on why people respond that way, because they see the world as a me versus you situation. This, this idea of scarcity, there's only so much love, there's only so much empathy to go around. And you know, if other people get it, that means I don't get it. And yeah. I, I don't see the words Black Lives Matters as saying anyone else's life is not important. I just see it as saying that right now in this moment, uh, black lives are being treated differently than other people's lives and frankly aren't being treated well based on, on what we see in the media. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I also see like when police are brutalizing attacking protesters i also see people on social media saying saying things like well they should have moved or they should have listened to police mm -hmm. and i just think what how is that your response to this one i'm surprised that the police response is to attack people i would if it were me i would want to work on improving our reputation by sort of trying to be pleasant and not attacking people but that's not that's not what's happening. And still police are tear gassing people and people are defending that. And I, that's awful. I really don't like it. And mm -hmm. so so like I said, I'm trying to be on social media less or follow people less that that defend things like that, because I think it's really awful. Sure. Um, are you have you gone to protests in your are there protests in your city? And then have you gone? Yes. Yes. So the article, how to be a Buddhist protester, I'm, I'm very involved in the activist community where I live. And 
So what that means essentially is that if they ask me to, I'll give a Dharma talk or I'll teach meditation or mindfulness, things of that nature, uh, provide pastoral care if someone is struggling um, emotionally. And other times it simply means that I'm there at the protest acting as a sort of calming presence for people. I believe that our job as Buddhist teachers is, is to make ourselves available to the public and serve them in whatever way they need to be served in that moment. So, and then writing that article, how to be a Buddhist protester. So I think a lot of people see the interactions between police and protesters, and they think there's only two ways to do this. You're either a cop in riot gear or you're you know, an activist throwing rocks. And, you know, that's it. That's your only choice. And if I don't want to do one of those two things, then I can't be involved in, in the movement. And that's those aren't the only choices. Those are the only choices if you think, again, if the world is cut up between in this I, us versus them mentality. But we as Buddhists, we're trained to see everyone as part of ourselves. So that article, How to Be a Buddhist Protester, was really designed to instruct people on how we can be involved in protest, but do so from a place of empathy and compassion and nonviolence. So what I'll often do at protest is I have a backpack and I'll fill that with food, with water, etc., And I'll, I'll pass that out to people. And I, I always try to make the point when I talk about this, that when I, if I, if I walk up to an activist and I give them bottled water to drink, that doesn't mean I hate the police. Uh, quite the opposite. I've been on, on both sides of this scenario, having served in the U.S. military, in the Marines. So I understand what it means to be given a job and have to do that job regardless of how you personally feel about it. Like, I get that. But at the same time, if there's a protester that's hurt or who's injured, I can't just sit there and allow them to be injured or allow them to be thirsty or allow them to be hungry. It, it's my job again to serve. So some of the things I talk about is how can we work nonviolently within the movement to simply be of support to anyone who needs that support. So part of that is practicing right speech. Part of that is practicing right action with the view that everyone is Buddha and, and everyone is worthy of my care. Yeah, I saw this thing trending on Twitter and I didn't know what it was. And it was A-C-A-B. And I had to Google that. And it, it stands for all cops are bastards. And that's trending now. And I don't think all of any profession, I don't, I wouldn't say all of any profession are bastards, but, but I understand how uncomfortable and scared people are right now. Um, when you go to those protests, do you wear the full, your full robes? Yes. Yes. Look, look at you weird. Um, I, I get varied, uh, varied responses. Okay. I think it's important to wear the robes for two reasons. One, 
it reminds me why I'm there. Because, you know, I, I, I freely admit I'm a human being. So I feel fear, anger, frustration, just like everyone else. But wearing my robes reminds me that I'm not, I'm there representing something larger than me. That it's my job to be an image bearer for the Dharma. So it kind of keeps my own ego in check. Um, but beyond that, I feel that it's important that people know that Buddhists are in the community and that we're there offering support should they need it. So the robes fulfill that, that role as well. Okay, cool. So let me see, what else? So I can tell you, I'm pretty much always nervous and a little scared when I see police around. And I, I always feel that way, it seems like. And I'm wondering if you are nervous and afraid when you see police around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, is the short answer. <laughs> I um so I've had lots of interactions with police officers. Some have been positive, some have been negative. Um most recently what happened, I wrote an article about this. So we had curfew set up in my city due to the protests that occurred. And there was a lot of confusion around you know, what the rules are, you know, are we allowed to go outside? Are we not allowed to go outside? What time does curfew start? What time does it stop, etc. And long story short, I was under the impression that curfew didn't start until seven o'clock. So I went outside to take a walk, get some air, uh, also do some photography. I recently took that up as a hobby. And on my way home, I was stopped by the police. And, you know, we had an interaction. Are you aware that we're on curfew right now? No, I thought it's just started at seven. No, actually, it's all day. It's like, oh, so we're not allowed outside? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they asked to search my bag. And it's always interesting because... In the activist communities, there's all these know your rights videos, um, which I think are important. People should know their rights, that if they ask to search your things, you don't have to let them, etc. But to be frank, in that moment, my thought wasn't know your rights. My thought was, you know, don't do anything to provoke them. So I gave them my bag, let them search my stuff. I had nothing to hide. But... It's just, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It was, uh, it was not a pleasant experience, in part because there were other people outside, power walking, walking their dogs, etc., who were not stopped. So then I have to wonder what's the difference between me and them that they can be outside, but I can't. Um, so I would say that I, hmm, where am I going with this? I guess <laughs> my my answer to your question is yes, I do get nervous around police officers. 
but I also want to I want to end this on a somewhat positive note, which is that after I posted that article, I was really overwhelmed by the love and support and concern that I received from people, uh, some of whom I hadn't spoken to in quite a while, phone calls, emails, etc., just letting me know I was cared for, letting me know that it was okay, that you know if they needed someone to go out and you know, if I needed someone to go out and get groceries for me, they were willing to do that. So going back to what I spoke about earlier, just about right speech and how powerful that can be, you know, having that experience, which was scary, but then being overwhelmed by people essentially saying, you know, I love you, I'm here for you was just so uplifting to me that it was almost overwhelming, but in a good Mm -hmm. way. Good, good. Um, and listeners, just to let you know, there's going to be a link in the show notes to both of these articles from Alex that we're talking about. Um, so I just wanted to tell a story very briefly. Uh, when I was a young, ma- a young man, when I was in college, I one time I went for a walk at night in my in my own neighborhood and somebody called the police on me for no reason because they thought I don't know what they thought I was doing, but. I had, so I had a weird interaction with a police officer. It it scared me because I'm scared of police, but also I reflected with these stories we're hearing, I started to reflect and I thought, well, what if that police officer was scared of me because for no reason, what if he was scared of me for no reason? Could I, could he have just pulled up and shot me or held me on the ground? I don't know. So it really made me, really made me think about that. That's just, I've just had one experience where I had a, just a weird interaction with police, but thankfully nothing happened, but it made me think like, what if, you know, I wasn't a non-threatening kind of short white man, would I be in danger? And I don't know, but I hear these stories. I hear about police just pulling up and shooting somebody or, you know, or throwing somebody on the ground and kneeling on their neck. And I just think, man, that, Yeah, yeah, it can happen. It it can happen. Yes, it can. Um, And it can be tough to accept that reality. Unfortunately, that is the reality of our current situation in the United States. But I remain hopeful that it will get better in the future. It's, and I sort of think it's um, it's not new. It's just getting revealed. And I think that that is an important thing to remember because if we forget that, then we think, wow, all these people are getting killed suddenly. But it's not. It's, it's just that we have more information now. That's really the difference. Sure. And, and, and like I said, now a lot of the time it's on film. So the hope is that less of these situations will happen with the killers getting away with it as mm-hmm. well. Um, sure. And also like the, as scary as these protests are, as scary as the whole situation is rather like I have hopes that it's going to lead to some positive change mm-hmm. and it it's not escaped my notice. Um, we, Alex and I were planning this, podcast a week ago and um he and he asked me well how about next next week and i and i thought well this is kind of current events 
but at the same time, like we we both knew, well, yeah, but this is not gonna disappear. This is gonna still be going on in a week. And mm-hmm. sure enough, it 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 has. It's it's the same, or maybe it's escalated. I don't know. In some places, I think it's probably escalated. Sure. Uh, here in Kansas City, the police have. I'm I'm told that the police have decided to stop using tear gas on protesters. So, so but the protesters are still there. So so that's a good thing. But I'm I'm hopeful that all of this struggle is going to lead to something good. Yes, yes, I I think it will. I think I liken the moment we're in right now to the moment that they experienced in the 60s. Uh, A lot of people um, don't realize that the reason those protests were so successful is because there was a relatively new invention out at the time called the television. And while it wasn't that uncommon for for black people for people of color to to be brutalized to be beaten you know just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time the nation seeing that happen before their eyes on their televisions uh caused a lot of positive reform to occur and we're in a similar moment now where things have even gone beyond that where everyone has a cell phone and things are being filmed and documented and posted on social media. And likewise, with these protests, with the things that are, are being seen and said and done, this is going to drive more positive change. Um, I, I liken the situation also to something we experience in meditation. And we we talked about this last time we spoke about how Buddhist, medita- uh, Buddhist meditation retreats aren't always pleasant. Mm-hmm. they're actually quite difficult. Uh, but that difficultness is necessary for the training. It's necessary for us to realize enlightenment, to attain nirvana. And I believe protest is the exact same thing, where in the Buddhist community, we have this strange assumption that there, there should be, never be conflict, that there should never be protests, that there should never be animosity between groups, but that's always been part of the human experience. What's also necessary and important though, is for leaders to emerge who can use that conflict, use that animosity to drive positive change. Um, Dr. King wasn't a, a Buddhist, but he did that work. You know, he took the racism, he took the brutality of his time, and he interacted with it in such a way that we now live in a more just society. Not a perfect society, but we've come a long way since the 60s. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh did the same thing uh, in his community. They were actually, a lot of people don't realize this, they were close friends. So we are now living in a moment where I think this conflict that we're experiencing is necessary. I think these protests are necessary because that's what's required for us to get that next evolution in America in, in regards to police brutality, in regards to racism, in regards to violence. But we have to be able and willing to use this conflict, to use this discomfort skillfully. And that's really where we as Buddhists can really 
can really be of service to the community is directing all this energy in ways that is positive and not negative, and that will result in a better future for the people that come after us. Yeah, I think of, and also I'm, I'm thinking about like previous protests like this. Like I know the protests in Ferguson happened a few years ago. And then like when I was a kid, the LA riots, the Rodney King thing all happened. But this is bigger than all of that. It feels mm-hmm. like, it feels like we're really at a big moment in history at rather at another big moment in history. Cause coronavirus is a big moment in history too. And, sure. and I do think uh, what you said about TV and film is right. I think, that when something is on video in front of you, I was going to say you can't pretend it's not happening, but you can. It's just a lot harder because I know you can because people still are going to pretend it's not happening in some areas, but it's way harder. Yes, way absolutely. Harder. Sometimes the, uh, the mirror has to be put right in front of people's faces before they can see their own reflection. So, um, we're going to come to an end soon. I want to ask you what your message would be to people that are going to a protest who are afraid. Sure. Well, uh, first I would let them know that fear is a natural response. You know, again, our emotions are valid. We are allowed to have these feelings. And then I would also encourage them to find a way to engage with the protest that one is in keeping with Dharmic principles so that, um, you know, right speech, right action, right livelihood primarily, I think would be the big ones to focus on. But that also is of support to the people around them. So when I go to protests, one thing that's incredible to me is how people interact. So people create signs. Some people act as volunteer medics. So they get trained in CPR and first aid. And one of the really beautiful things that I saw um, in my area during the protests is that if uh, someone was tear gassed, if they were maced, it was almost like um, people were competing to see how quickly they could get to that person and offer them aid. Aww. And just just how quickly they got there. And then also, well, I, I have milk. Well, no, I have water and it has, I, I don't know what the concoction is. I think it's baking soda that they use to like, you know, neutralize the, uh, the tear gas and the mace, things of that nature. Um, that uh, people people were creating food and water stations, right? Uh, Where people who were there because these protests can go a long time, could go get nourishment and then go back and continue protesting. So I would encourage people, because again, oftentimes if we think of activists, if we think of protesters, we think of, well, unless I have to go there and I have to throw rocks at people or I have to to break things or things like that. And that's just not the case. And you know, we can practice Buddhism and still protest at the same time. We just have to protest in a way that's in keeping with Buddhist principles. In the same way that we have to go to work or mow our lawns or talk to our family in the way that's in keeping with Buddhist principles. So, you know, I wrote the article 
that gives my take on the way to do that. Uh, I think that might be a helpful resource, but I would, I would just encourage people to, to not lose hope, to understand that suffering is natural, that, but we have the tools. We, we are equipped as Buddhists to deal with it in a skillful way. And they're already taking the first step just by taking that step to improve our current situation. All right, we will, we will close there. So I want to thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast again and making time for this. I appreciate Absolutely. you being here. You are great. So you are also great. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.